dealing with topics in Proverbs. Last week was the fear of the Lord. And uh, the more I do do the study on this, the more I find out it's not going to be a three-parter. It might be a four-parter. We we shall see. But uh, this is the fear of the Lord, part two. At the beginning of the uh, outline, you'll see I have basically last week's points. Uh, It involves a subject. It involves an object. And uh, letter C, the content of the fear of the Lord involves revelation. So it's going to be based on what the Word of God teaches. And today we'll start with involves direction. But before we do, let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your love, for your care, for this opportunity to open your Word. And we recognize, Lord, that we are carnal. We're made of flesh. And we live in a world that... uh, well, has all kinds of presuppositions, and we're guilty of that also. So as we consider what your word says, we ask, Father, that your spirit would open our hearts and minds to the things that you have for us, and where our presuppositions or our uh, thinking needs to be challenged, that uh, you would do just that. Uh, Guide us into the way everlasting, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I almost had everlasting way in there, and you know. I'm sure there's going to be some pleasure when we see his face, yes, <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure we're going to be doing much laughing. Okay, so uh, the uh, content of the fear of the Lord involves direction. So notice there is much to do. So letter A, the fear of Yahweh or the fear of the Lord must and can be taught. Open your Bibles to Second Kings 17, 24 to 28. Excuse me. Uh, follow along as I read. <clears throat> then the king of Assyria uh, brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvain, and settled them in the place of the Israelites in the cities of Samaria. The settlers took possession of, uh, possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. When they first lived there, they did not fear Yahweh. So the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. The settlers spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations that you have deported and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the requirements of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lions among them that are killing them, because the people don't know the requirements of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria issued a command Send back one of the priests you deported. Have him go and live there so he can teach them the requirements of the God of the land. So notice, uh, fear once again is not dealing with emotion. Uh, They were afraid of the God of the land or the gods of the land. uh, But they had to be taught the fear of the Lord. I know we made that point last week that it's not just emotion. Um, In this particular case, they had fear. They did not have the fear of the Lord, so they had to be taught that. Uh, Let's go back to Deuteronomy 17, uh, 18, and 19. Deuteronomy. uh, I don't know if how many of you might be doing the uh, Scripture reading for the uh, quarter, but uh, we finished uh, Deuteronomy somewhere around the uh, end of... Well, it was a little toward the end of October, and it, we, Lynn and I, we listen to it when we're eating, uh, breakfast, dinner, uh, things like that. And it is amazing how many 
uh, things in Deuteronomy kind of go, oh. And of course now, uh, I think we're still in the book of Leviticus. And uh, so many practical things when instead of reading it, you're listening to it. It's kind of like, I see why he said that. You know, that kind of a thing. So uh, Deuteronomy uh, 17, uh, 18 and 19. Let me see here. There is 17, 18. When he is seated on his royal throne, he is to write a copy of this instruction for, them, uh, for himself on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It is to remain with him, and he is to read from it all the days of his life so that he may learn the fear of the Lord his God to observe all the words of this instruction and to do these statutes. Now, this is uh, declaring when the time comes that you're going to have a king. One of the things that the king has to do is write a copy of the law. And then not only write a copy of the law. Uh, by the way, if you're not doing scripture memory, there's scripture memory cards out there too. Um, one of the great ways to do scripture memory is not just have it on the card, but start writing it out. Because now you've got the motion in your hand, you say it out loud, you're, you're getting it through the ear, and you're getting it through the eye gate, and it helps. But uh, not only was he supposed to write it out, but he was supposed to have daily devotions. He was supposed to be reading portions of it all the days of his life. Now, how many of us are kings? Well, let me see. What does the Lord say? We're a royal priesthood. The royal there is kind of like we're going to rule and reign with him. Who, who rules and reigns? Kings, princes, princesses, queens. Uh, I know some of the African-American community, they really get into this whole, you know, back in Africa, I come from kings. Kind of like, well, chances are most of you don't. But the reality is, is we've got a brother who's sitting on the throne and we're going to rule and reign with him. So you wonder, should we have daily devotions? Hmm. Just something to think about, okay? Um, notice in uh, the notes here, uh, the king was to make a copy of the law, read it all the days of his life. Now, consider what he had to do, uh, and consider what was going on in his day. In the time of ongoing revelation, when there were kings, there were prophets, okay? Uh, think about Hezekiah. Uh, he, he gets a letter from uh, the Abshaka or, or something like that, uh, some guy that spoke on behalf of Sennacherib, and he brings that letter uh, to the house of the Lord, and he prays over it and says, God, you heard what he said, da 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 and Isaiah comes to him, got a prophet, word of the Lord right there, and tells him, don't worry about it, uh, Assyria, Sennacherib, they're never going to enter Jerusalem, I'm going to take care of this. And that's in the King James, it says that when they woke up, 185,000 of them were dead. And the way it's written in the King James English, it sounds like the 185,000 woke up and found out they were dead. <laughs> that kind of a thing. But uh, the, re the reality is, is in the time of ongoing revelation and the business of running a country, the king was expected have daily Bible study that he might learn the fear of Yahweh. Now, 
I'm presently involved in reading um, four books by A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer died in 1963. I was a whole whopping three years old at the time. And um, he writes about the evangelical church of the 40s and 50s. And he says, the church has lost their way. Uh, they have gotten away from true worship and are being entertained. And he talks about people that they, they have the right doctrine. You know, they've accepted Christ. They, they even understand some of their position in Christ and all that kind of stuff. But they don't live according to what the correct doctrine would cause one to live. Might it be, and we're talking the church of the 40s and 50s. Okay, now we're in the 23s. Might it be the lack of spiritual oomph of the church of his day and therefore of our day is because life is busy and we're not in the word. I can't say about you. I can say that I don't know that this has always been the priority that should have been in my own life. Okay? Things to think about there. Letter B, and of course, if you're not in the Word on a daily basis or a relatively regular basis, uh, do you fear the Lord? Uh, letter B, there is a vital connection between the fear of the Lord and the righteous, godly living. Uh, Job 28, 28 says, and to, the, and to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. So you have your two parts there. Part A, behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Letter B, or part B, to depart from evil is understanding. Those two really cannot be separated. Uh, how about Psalm 128? Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, right? Uh, let me see here. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So part A and part B again, they're co-joined. Uh, fearing the Lord, walking in his ways, they go together. Uh, Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I, I used the word hate earlier today. I had brought out this uh, bucket of water that the bottom screws on the top. And it's only like a, a slight turn. And then you flip it over and the water drains out into this little dish for the chickens. And so I grab the handle. The handle is there so it will hang. And I take my hand off of the bottom and brought it down on a block. And before I get it to the block, the bottom falls off and all the water goes all over the place. I hate this thing. Can I tell you that the chicken waterer is not evil? Ooh. Okay, so getting back to Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Once again, they are connected. You cannot separate them. Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Part B, the good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. So not only do they do his commandments, but they're praising him. Uh, Deuteronomy 5.29, part A and part B again. Oh, that they had such a heart in them 
that they would fear me. Now, uh, God is talking to Moses about the children of Israel, and he says, oh, that they had such a heart in them. They, they have just said, we will do whatever you tell us to do. Oh, that they had that heart in them. I believe that God probably says the same, things, uh, same thing about much of the church today. Oh, that they had the heart in them. Now, wait a minute. In order to be part of the church, you have to be saved, right? Okay, yeah. What, what happens at salvation? God gives you a new heart. I'm not saying that people aren't saved. What I am saying is they're definitely not living according to who they are. Okay? Um, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and, all, and always keep my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. And Psalm 112, verse 1, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. The word blessed, oh, how very happy is the man who fears the Lord, who delights, the word delights there, he takes pleasure. He delights greatly in his commandments. We could go on and on through the Scripture where we basically tie our salvation to obedience. We can tie love of God with obedience. You say that you love me? Keep my commandments. Okay, what are his commandments? Here's one for you. All of the commandments fit into two. I, I recognize there's 613 Levitical laws, da 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 We got the Ten Commandments. They're summarized by Jesus into two. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. The second is like unto it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. Pastor kind of made mention of some of the stuff that's going on in our country today. Um, shooting arrows at each other, even online as Christians. Da -da 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 -da. Uh, the Bible goes so far to say that if you don't love your brother, first of all, you don't love God. You don't know God. You're not saved. Huh? Yeah. Because those are the only two commandments. Now, can we take those two and mess them up? Saw a video this week. Most of the leaders in the children's ministry at Andy Stanley's uh, church apparently are LGBTQ. The woman that is in charge of all of the children's ministry, she's not, but she has no problem hiring them. And here's her justification. You're supposed to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So you're just supposed to love these people. And she goes, every now and again, someone comes to me and says, when are we going to tell them the truth? And she goes, what truth? Paul's truth or Jesus' truth? Can we understand something? That the Holy Spirit was the one that was given Paul the truth to write in Romans chapter 1. And it doesn't negate what Jesus said about loving your neighbor. But love is doing what's best for the other person without consideration of the cost to oneself. It doesn't mean accepting them in their sin because the fear of the Lord is directly tied to getting away from sin, keeping His commandments. Hmm. Things to think about. Number three. 
Uh, the fear of the Lord involves relationship, or the content of the fear of the Lord involves relationship. There is a person to fear. Now, this is similar to it involves an object, but we're dealing with a person at this time. And uh, how does that show itself in our fearing of the Lord? Well, first of all, letter A, it requires forgiveness. In Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, it says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Okay? So notice uh, point two here, forgiveness in order to fear. Psalm 130, let me read it to you. It's only eight verses long. Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If you, Lord, mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in, in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So in verses 1 and 2, we see calling on God from the depths. Notice, not approaching God as a peer. Uh, hey, uh, bud, I'm here again. I uh, want to talk to you. No, we're calling out from him, recognizing again, he's God, we're not. We're the created. He is the creator. So out of the depths. Uh, point number two here, God's forgiveness is affirmed. Apart from forgiveness, we would all be doomed. This is one of those things that I think sometimes we kind of forget. Pastor talked a little bit about this this morning, about how the way you have been forgiven, you, uh, in Colossians 3.13, says, must forgive one another. Uh, I, I sent Pastor, I sent Jeff, and I sent Todd a, a video of a guy, shared it with my Sunday school class this morning. He said, these are guitar strings. I don't know if I shared this with you last week or not, but uh, he goes, these all have a purpose. And when attached to what they're supposed to be attached to, they can make beautiful music. And then he brings out a guitar. He goes, this part up here, you know, with the little screws on it, this is called the headstock. This down here, this is the body. And if I connect the strings to the headstock, okay, they're connected to the head, kind of like being saved, but you still can't fulfill your purpose. You've got to be connected to the body and the headstock. And a lot of people don't like doing that. You want to know why? Because when you're connected to both of them and you're next to the other strings, there's tension. But it's only under that tension that those strings make the beautiful music that they can make, fulfilling the purpose that they were created for. Kind of like, whoa. And it's like, yeah, but people are a pain. I know. And all of that serves the purpose of, first of all, God, what are you trying to show me about me? Okay? Because why is this person such a pain? That person isn't such a pain. 
But this one is. I'm not pointing at you, Leanne. <laughs> um, why? What, what is it about this person? What is it in me that this person agitates so much? And if we're going to make beautiful music, I can learn to love that person in spite of how they might be an irritant. Hmm. Just things to think about there. Okay? So God's forgiveness is affirmed. Uh, the declaration of total dependence upon God in verses 5 and 6. Waiting on God. Hoping in His Word. I, I don't know about you, but when I was uh, ordained, and I know some people don't know I'm ordained, it doesn't matter, uh, but when I was ordained, I got to stand there for four hours and answer questions. There was a donut break in the middle. I thought they thought we were police officers, but um, <laughs> yeah, don't tell the police officers. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I don't know how many times I said, I don't know, when I was being tested. Because they were looking at a doctrinal statement that I had written uh, for senior theology class at Calvary Bible College. And they said, well, what about this? And I said, I, I don't know. <laughs> Excuse me. They asked me a question. Are there any errors in the Bible? Well, you know, I've studied Greek. I've studied Hebrew. I know that over the years, the many, many copyings, there are some small scribal errors that make no difference on doctrine. So I said, yes, and I explained myself. And they told me at the end, Al, you really need to work on your bibliology. You need to understand there are no errors. In the original autographs, there are no errors, okay? We recognize through the copying process, occasionally there's a place where, yeah, I think they copied verse 4 and verse 1, and okay, I can get past that. Not a big deal. Um, but the whole thing is, is over the years, one of the things that God has just really placed on my heart is our hope is in what He has told us. So many people looking for a new revelation. Do you realize there is not a need for a new revelation? If the New Testament were going to be written today, guess what would be in it? The Gospels, a history of the beginning of the church. Um, there might be a little bit more history to let us know where we blew it, but I'm not sure. Uh, the Book of Romans, good foundational, theological, doctrinal uh, book with some application. Uh, first and Second Corinthians, First Corinthians, because hey, there's a bunch of people that like the woo uh, in their religion. Uh, Second Corinthians, because you don't understand. I'm the one that God has brought to tell you these things, and you really need to listen up, or else. Uh, let me see. Uh, Galatians, uh, are there legalists in the church today? Uh-huh. Ephesians, are there people that do not understand the need for, uh, to understand your position in Christ? Not your condition. We, can't, we got the condition in Romans chapter 7, but your position in Christ and how that gets lived out in a person's life. Oh yeah, that's a, still a big problem. How about Colossians where we start seeing the, the roots of uh, Gnosticism being talked about? Gnosticism still plays a, a part in some people's doctrine in churches that at least the world considers Christian. I won't go so far. Uh, Philippians, oh boy, joy, joy. The, it, it, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. 
Now, Lynn and I have been married for 38 years, and, and can I tell you, the first several years were really difficult because, well, she's a sinner. Uh, actually, we were both very hard-headed sinners. She was a more sanctified, hard-headed sinner. It was all interior stuff. Mine was right out there in front of everybody. Uh, but uh, when God got us past those things, we enjoy each other's company. Uh, Lynn likes flannel pajamas, and I don't. Uh, <laughs> but every night, almost every night, I won't say every night, but almost every night, she'll go in there, do all of her washing her face and all that kind of stuff. You don't know who she looks like until she gets out of there, you know. But uh, she'll come in, and she'll come over and, and, and put her hand on my, and, and her wet sleeve will touch my face. <laughs> what on earth? Can't you roll those things up? You know, and we'll joke back and forth about things like this, and we just enjoy our time together. Now, I recognize that God is God and not Lynn, but when I think of enjoying my relationship with him, I get a little bit of that in there where I am really enjoying Time in his word, getting to know him better, reading A.W. Tozer. Boy, that'll slap you upside the head a few times. Uh, Philippians. And we could go on. God would not have another book in the New Testament because he's already given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And so our hope is in the word. Okay? And so when our hope is in the word, we... Uh, uh, have this declaration of total dependence upon God. Next point, Israel is called to trust in God. Boy, if that is not needed today, his loving kindness and redemption. And then the last point, clinging to God in reverence calls to others to do the same. Very, very uh, good approach to that. And then number three, the fear of the Lord brings friendship. In Psalm 25, 14, it says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Now, I want you to think about that for just a minute. Uh, there's a movement going on out there in the non-Christian realm called deconstructionism. Deconstructionism is basically where Christians have been in the, well, people who think they're Christians, I don't know if they are or not, but they've made a profession of faith, they've been in the church. Some of them are pastors that have said, no, I'm done with this, and left the church. And basically, they have to deconstruct their faith. I don't know about you, but it's kind of like, uh, did you really have it? But, but they, they deconstruct this thing. And notice, those who fear the Lord, with those who fear the Lord. Now, I, I've changed the English a little bit so you can see what you're getting. With those who fear the Lord is the secret of the Lord. And he will show them his covenant. You want to get in good with God? Where you get to know some of the secret things? You fear him. You have the reverential respect that he's God. I'm coming to this thing open-handed. I'm not bringing anything. I'm not bringing my presuppositions. Lord, open my eyes. And if I do have presuppositions that I'm maybe unaware of, point those out to me. I've gotten to the point where I'm listening to people on the radio 
or on social media or something like that. It's kind of like, okay, I'm not buying into what you're saying, but I can see where you're coming from. I still disagree with you because of this, but Lord, if they're right, open my eyes. Help me to see it. Now, I'm not fearful that I'm going to be led astray because my hope is in the Lord, that He is going to keep me on the right path when it comes to His Word. And so fear brings friendship. Letter B, uh, it also requires humility. Proverbs 22.4, line A, by humility and the fear of the Lord, line B, are riches and honor and life. The interesting thing is, is you used to find in some Bibles, there would be words that were italicized in the verse. And basically what that meant was, there's not a corresponding Hebrew or Greek word there. They put that word in there so that it made some smooth sense for English. Okay? Well, this is one of those verses. Notice number two here. The Hebrew statement is actually very terse. There are no verbs and no English syntax. So basically, line A says, By humility, the fear of the Lord, riches and honor and life. Now, I imagine you can read that a couple of different ways, but let's consider. Humility and the fear of the Lord seemingly are equated. It's not humility and the fear of the Lord. It's humility, the fear of the Lord. It's the same thing. Number four, another translation equates humility as the reward of the fear of the Lord, like riches and honor and life. Which is correct. Well, let's consider the author, Solomon. How did he become wise? Well, let's open our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. Boy, chapter 2 is a long chapter. There it is. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 3, and we'll just start right at the beginning here. We're only going to go up uh, several verses. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Solomon brought her to live in the city of David until he finished building his palace, the Lord's temple, and the wall surrounding Jerusalem. However, the people were sacrificing on the high places because until that time, the temple of the Lord's, uh, for the Lord's name had not been built. Solomon loved the Lord by walking in the statutes of his father David, but he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there because it was the most famous high place. He offered 1,000 burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, ask what I should give you. And Solomon replied, you have shown great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and integrity. You have continued this great and faithful love for him by giving him a son to sit on his throne as it is today. Lord, my God, you have now made your servant king in your father in my father David's place. Yet I am just a youth. By the way, Solomon's about 40 years old at this time. 
I am just a youth. Remember back in the day when pastor would say you had to be 45 to be mature? I don't know if you know it, but that's because he was 45. And now he's 74, and I'm pretty sure if you were to ask him, in order to be mature, you got to at least be in the 70s. Uh, so I've not arrived yet, but uh, let's go back here. Uh, your servant among, uh, yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people. You, uh, you have chosen a people too numerous to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an obedient heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, because you have requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you ask discernment for yourself to understand justice, I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. In addition, I will give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor so that no man in any kingdom will be your equal during your entire life. Okay, now with that in mind, uh, let's consider humility, the basis of his request for wisdom from God. So I think the first one, humility being equal to the fear of the Lord, would be the correct one from that perspective. Notice Solomon declares God's lordship in verses 5 to 7, and Solomon declares his immaturity and his need for the Lord's wisdom to do the job that God had given him in verses 7 to 9. Examine what God gives him for his correct analysis of the situation. In verses 10 through 13, not only does he give him wisdom, but he gives him riches, honor, and life. So when we go back to Proverbs 22, 4, the author, Solomon, humility, the fear of the Lord, riches and honor in life. When you're humble, when you have a fear of the Lord, a correct fear of the Lord, riches, honor in life, God will bless you with. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the lottery ticket, okay? Because... From God's perspective, consider the man who delights in the law of the Lord. He shall be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. His leaf also shall not wither. Oh, he will bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. Now, personally, I think that basically means whatever he does is going to bring glory to God. Okay, now there may be some financial blessing within that, but there may not. It doesn't matter because he's not looking at now. He's looking at eternity. Okay, so humility is not thinking less of yourself than you ought. We talk about low self-esteem in this day and age, have been for many years. And, uh, you know, Dr. Tyler has come and he's kind of straightened some of us out on that. Uh, there are still people in the church that think that low self-esteem is a real thing. If you examine the concept of those that supposedly have low self-esteem, uh, they're basically feeling sorry for themselves because 
not everybody else thinks that they're as great as they do. That, I'm sorry, is pretty much it. Oh, woe is me. I can't do anything right. Who says? All the other people. They should know how, blessed, uh, how much of a blessing I am to be here with them. Uh, that's really what low self-esteem kind of looks like. So humility is not thinking less of yourself than you ought. It is not comparing yourself to others being a subjective standard. Uh, one, one of the things that you all have grown up in and I've had to grow up in is, and some people have not grown up in. <laughs> uh, we've had people in the past that, you know, John MacArthur's got a wonderful ministry. Uh, he is the son of a pastor. I think he's the grandson of a pastor. So he's like a third generation pastor. Uh, he's been at it for, I think, around 70 years right now, okay? Um, and over the years, God has blessed him. He's got a large church, uh, great radio ministry, uh, all, all kinds of books, etc. And uh, we've had people in the past that really felt as though uh, we should be more like his church. Pastors should be more like John Montgomery, uh, John Montgomery, John uh, MacArthur. Uh, our elders need to be like the pastors out there because they've got a multitude of pastors. And uh, most of them are paid pastors. Those are the elders. Uh, we have two paid pastors that are elders and then a bunch of guys that are volunteering on their free time. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, um, But uh, they really felt as though our elders didn't qualify to be elders. Kind of like, by what standard? Well, by John MacArthur's elder standards. Kind of like, yeah, okay, how many of these guys do you want to be paying for, you know? <laughs> Get your money up and maybe we can talk about it. Um, pastor's uh, preaching style is a little bit different than mine. Dave's is different than pastor's. Uh, we're all gifted a little bit differently. And is there anything wrong with that? No. Going back to humility, it's not comparing yourself to others, which is a subjective standard. But humility is thinking as much about God as you ought, especially as one sees himself in light of who God is. Okay, so I'm grasping God is like, whoa! And then I look at me and it's kind of like, wow, as I shared this morning in my Sunday school class, the word awesome really only fits talking about God. When I was a kid, bananas were awesome. Bananas with peanut butter. Bananas with peanut butter and chocolate chips, even more awesome. No, God is awesome. And I am blessed to be able to say he is my God, etc., etc., etc. So humility is that. The fear of the Lord is seeing God for who he really is, vast, infinite, holy, perfect, limitless in power and glory. Seeing myself as who I really am, puny, limited, dependent in every way for my very existence, morally defiled by nature, and by choice, in need of grace, forgiveness, and the wisdom that only God can give. There's a good description of the fear of the Lord. Okay? And then letter C, the content of the fear of the Lord requires fear. Again, 
We're not talking about shrinking away in terror, though at times that may be included. But it is offering to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe because God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for God, for our God, is a consuming fire. Remember when Moses said, Lord, love the way Moses prays. Lord, if I have found grace in your sight. Now, most of us would sit there and say, Lord, I'm really appreciative of that you saved me. Moses approaches it with a little bit more humility. If, I might be deluded, but if I have found grace in your sight. He goes on to say, show me your glory. And God says, you couldn't handle the truth. No, he didn't say that. Uh, He basically says, you can't, no man can stand in my presence and live. He goes, I'll tell you what, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to let my glory pass by. And when I've passed by, I will reveal to you what may be known about me. Now, in the King James, I'm going to show you my hinder parts or something like that. just makes me think weird things, but I'm going to show you what can be known about me. And then as you read the passage, the Lord, glorious in might, and it goes on and gives all these descriptions of God, a knowable God. But notice, he's such a consuming fire that Moses had to be shielded until we got to the stuff that, okay, you can handle this. Well, let's get to the point where we're handling more. Not, not getting past where we should, but having a fear of the Lord so he can reveal as much as, of himself as he can to us. Things to consider. Any questions or thoughts? Well, good. We're going to let you out early tonight, so let's close in prayer. And uh, Lord willing, see you on Wednesday night. Whether we're going to do 43 and 44 or just 43, we'll get there when we find out. How's that sound? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you are an awesome creator, God, Father. Lord, we recognize that you brought us to a certain measure of the fear of the Lord when you saved us. As we have learned to walk with you, that measure has increased. It is our desire, Lord, that you would continue that increasing, that we may recognize more and more of your awesome uh, being, getting to know you better, so that we may walk in a way that's pleasing and acceptable to you. Not because we can, but because in dependence upon you, you will enable us. Thank you again for uh, the opportunity to get to know you better. We ask as we go forth into this world that you might open our hearts and minds to the people that are around us. And like that pastor on the Titanic, we'd be saying, trust Jesus. Give us grace in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a good night and a God-honoring week.